0: The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au.
1: Okay, again, welcome and good morning. It's very nice to see. I'm guessing there's a few people tuning in. Good to see many people that have uh, tuned in to this t- this morning. Uh, you've made the decision to give up your Sunday morning to come and uh, practice sadhamma, to do some chanting, to listen to some teachings, to do some meditation, uh, and doing this in the hope that you will uh, improve the quality of your mind in some way. And, you know, to do this, to actually do this, to show up and to do these things, uh, it actually requires you Putting forth some kind of effort, putting forth some kind—you have some kind of desire that you want to do something uh, wholesome. You want to develop in the Dhamma, so you put forth the effort to do that. And so that's actually what I thought I'd like to talk about this morning: this aspect in Buddhism of when we put forth effort, and what does it actually mean to put forth effort in from the Buddhist perspective. The reason I thought about talking about this is because there's there's also another aspect in Buddhism that we talk about of, 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 you could say, like letting go and this aspect of an effortless practice or an effortless mindfulness or this aspect of not trying too hard in your own practice. And so both of these factors, they, they have their place, but there can be a bit of confusion between the two sometimes in that, well, Okay, well, if I'm meant to have an effortless practice and I'm not meant to try, how does that actually even mean that I show up and try and do any kind of meditation? Um, what does it actually? What does an effortless practice actually even mean? And if I'm meant to have an effortless practice, does that mean effort is a bad thing? So I thought I'd talk a little bit about this this morning because you know the Buddha actually, when you look at the Buddha scriptures. Uh, a lot of what the Buddha talked about, he talked about putting forth a lot of effort. So how do you square what the Buddha's actually said about putting forth effort with this, you could say, more a very modern interpretation of having an effortless practice? So that's what I thought I'd go through this morning, the difference between those two two dichotomies. Um, so what I'll talk about is I'll, I'll go over this, you know, like the classic interpretation of what the Buddha meant by when he talked about effort and then I'll try to go over this aspect of the effortless practice or this effortless mindfulness um, and then we'll I'll go over like the pros and the cons of both and then we'll sort of see well which one should you actually practice how should you understand this um, and not surprisingly I'll probably get to the conclusion that you do need both and but you know to get to that point I probably need to Lay a few things uh, down first. So, <clears throat> so we'll first start with you know, what actually is effort. Now, if you think of effort just from uh, a normal, common sense, uh, uh, a standard understanding of what effort is, we think of effort and we think, okay, I need to put forth some kind of vigorous exertion. Some kind of vigorous exertion. I have to, I I have some kind of goal, and I need to do some kind of action to get to that goal. So, I need to actually. Do I need to be doing something to put forth effort. So that's our, you know, your your general kind of understanding of what effort is. But if you look at what the Buddha was talking about when he talked about effort, you looked into the into the Pali suttas. The when the Buddha mentioned effort, he the way he described it is through this Pali term we called virya. Now, virya means obviously it means effort, but it also means uh, diligence and energy, and uh, in a way, like a, a kind of striving. So, with this fast this facet, this sorry, this this uh, factor of effort, it's so central in what the Buddha actually talked about. This facet of effort is that it's a part of the Eightfold Path. It's one of the factors of the Eightfold Path. We have what we call right effort or samma Now, this is so important uh, it's it's as i said it's a part of the eightfold path so and um, what did the buddha mean when he said right effort so what right effort entails the buddha said, is something called the four right exertions now that's we the four right exertions are we put forth effort to abandon any unskillful or unwholesome states in the mind we put forth effort to prevent any unwholesome or unskillful states in the mind. That's the second one. The third one is we put forth effort to develop wholesome and skillful states in the mind. And the fourth one is that we put forth effort to maintain uh, the skillful and and wholesome states of the mind that we already have there. So you can see when the Buddha talked about effort, he talked about it in this way of that we need to abandon things that are unwholesome and to develop things that are wholesome. Another aspect of this, uh, the Buddha talked elsewhere in the suttas about about uh, effort. He talked about right effort being putting forth the effort to develop the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path. So he stated that one puts forth, you know, right effort is the abandoning of wrong view and the development of right view, the abandoning of wrong speech and the development of right speech, the abandoning of, you know, wrong wrong mindfulness and the development of right mindfulness. So, again, effort is something where we're abandoning something more unwholesome and developing something more wholesome. There's, other, there's some other places in the suttas where the, the Buddha actually talked about effort and when he talked about it more in terms of specifically developing uh, one's meditation practice. He, you know, recommended in many places that we need to put forth effort and we need to practice meditation, but he also mentioned it in terms of something he called the four exertions, not the four right exertions of uh, uh, abandoning unwholesome and developing wholesomeness, but the four right exertions in, say, for example, in a meditation practice, the four exertions are one puts forth effort to uh, restrain one's senses, uh, and also, one puts forth effort to abandon the defilements that are in the mind. Uh, the third one is one puts forth effort to cultivate the factors of the the, the enlightenment factors. And one puts forth effort to, to uh, 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 sustain and develop one's meditation object. So say, so for example, you're uh, focusing on the breath or something, you put forth effort to continually keep doing that. So again, you can actually see that um, you can see that the Buddha was talking about you know abandoning something or abandoning something unwholesome and developing something wholesome there. And you know effort comes up. this concept of virya comes up in so many other different places in the Buddhist suttas. It comes up in the, in the seven factors of enlightenment. it comes up in the five uh, five spiritual faculties. So for example, you have uh, Saddha, you have faith you have virya, you have effort, you have sati, mindfulness, you have samadhi, concentration, you have banya, wisdom. So it's one of the factors that you need to actually develop yourself spiritually. It also comes up in a place in somewhere else in the suttas where he talks about the the, the four idipadas or the four bases for spiritual power. Um, <clears throat> and when he talked about these four bases of spiritual power, he you started off with something called chanda. Now, chanda actually means like having like a will or having an intention and sort of like having a desire. So we need this kind of will and intention and desire to actually develop a basis for our practice. Then there's, you know, again, there's, there's virya, there's effort there. So you need that kind of desire, uh, you need that will, you need that intention to develop wholesome qualities and abandon unwholesome qualities. And I think uh, there's, and the, other four, the other two factors of the Yidipadasa is as we, uh, we have uh, something called jitta, so we develop the capacity of understanding the mind, and uh, vimangsa, which is uh, you know, analytic insight into the mind. So the last thing that I'll bring up about what the Buddha actually said about effort is it's something so important that it was the Buddha's very, very last words the last words that, that came out of the Buddha's mouth were strive forth with diligence to understand the Dhamma. This, it, you know, so effort isn't just something that's sort of like tucked away somewhere in the Buddha's teachings. They're right there in the Eightfold Path. And they're like the very last words that the Buddha said was for us to strive, put forth effort and to practice hard. So we can see that the Buddha talked about effort in terms of we actually do need to do practice. We need to practice hard. We need to strive. We need to abandon any unwholesome states that are in the mind and develop wholesome qualities. So if the Buddha recommended effort so much, where does this leave effortlessness? Where does this leave this aspect of, well, not sort of really trying hard? So now we'll move on to effortlessness. So what do you think about when you think of effortlessness? Well, for me, I, I, when I think of this concept, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind for me is this aspect of, say for example, somebody who's like oh, you're highly skilled and highly competent or you could say like something for an example is like uh, like a, some, a, a brilliant concert pianist or something who's playing this very technical uh, concerto and they just sort of they're, – because they're so skilled at it, it just seems totally effortless for them. So that's one way we can understand effortlessness. Another way is you know, some of us may have experienced this is we're in, we're in like a we're in the zone we're in like a flow state and the things that we're doing it doesn't seem like it's very hard um, and we're just sort of doing it doing it without any kind of effort now the other idea we have when we think of effortlessness is the literal definition of it you just do nothing you you Don't try. You're not putting forth any effort. You're literally just sitting there and putting forth no effort at all. And so I think uh, where a lot of people get confused about this aspect of effort and effortlessness in, uh, in some kind of meditation practice is they, they take effortlessness as the latter, that it is just doing nothing. But what I want to emphasize to you, it's actually more of the former two where you become skilled and you become proficient at something. And then through that, then you become effortless. But really, okay, well, where does this term effortless practice come from? Or does this term effortless mindfulness actually comes from? It is more of a – you could say it is a bit more of like a modern Buddhist interpretation of it and especially when there was this this culmination of many different kinds of spiritual practices, especially coming to the West and America and all these kinds of things in the sort of the counterculture of the 60s. There was this like culmination of many different practices from from areas throughout Asia. Coming together at that point in time, and many different people practicing these. So, for example, this facet of this, sorry, this this idea of effortlessness, it came about through this culmination of not only Buddhist practices, but there was also uh, Hindu practices and Taoist practices as well. So, say for example, in uh, Taoist practices, you have this concept of of Wu Wei, which is this, you know, uh, you know, effortless action or this inactive action or this aspect of things are flowing in this natural sort of state that they are. You also had some of the the Hindu uh, meditation practices, Advaita Vedanta, that actually uh, are are the the kind of practices where you're trying to develop like a non-dual state of being where you're noticing awareness for exactly just whatever it actually is and that there's no sort of doer that's there doing the kind of meditation, <clears throat> um, and that was these kinds of practices were were sort of very popular in the culture. And then you had you had spiritual teachers. Say, for example, someone like uh, Krishnamurti was who was very famous and very influential, and he taught uh, this aspect of developing a spiritual practice through like choiceless awareness, where we're just where we we're not really trying, we're just noticing everything it, that is as it is. So there's the, the the Taoist and there's the the Hindu sort of influence in that kind of teaching, but then there's also the actual Buddhist uh, influence in that teaching, sort of you know popularized in the like in the early '60s through Zen practices. You can uh, you look at some of these Zen practices, and there is this aspect of you know like. The, the goalless goal and you know effortless effort kind of thing, and there's there's specific kind of practices that you do in Zen Buddhism where you you when you meditate you just sit your the the objective is to sort of do nothing this uh, what's it called like zazen or shikantaza or something I, I can't remember the exact terminology but the the idea is to just sit and just to do nothing don't try to do anything. <clears throat> So that was what really came in in the sort of like the counterculture of the 60s that sort of built this really – this idea for us. But where it's – I think where it's really sort of ramped up these days is actually through a lot of the Tibetan practices – the Tibet, like the Tibetan Zogchen practices, a lot of people have become very enamoured with this, and uh, there's been a lot of you could say modern masters that have that have actually emphasised this, and it's sort of been brought to the West uh, a lot. Uh, you could look at teachers like uh, Tibetan Zogchen teachers like uh, Tukul Urgen Rinpoche, who taught, who teach this way of what he calls uh, direct mindfulness. That there's a difference between direct mindfulness and Effortless mindfulness. Is it direct or... Oh, let's just call it direct mindfulness for now. So um, he's saying that there's a difference between those two things. Now, what the Dzogchen practices, they emphasize is that you can actually start off with these like direct mindfulness practices, but you eventually you need to move into these effortless mindfulness practices. Um, and if you can actually start off with effortless mindfulness practices and it gives you all the all the benefits of direct mindfulness but you know it's it's even better so well what okay i've gone through all that so what actually is what actually is this kind of practice so like a direct you could say like a direct mindfulness practice is probably the one that you're most you you, you that you that you're probably practicing now that you're most familiar with a direct mindfulness practice is this aspect where you you know you you set yourself up, you keep your awareness focused on a particular kind of object say for example the breath or the sensations in the body um, or the thoughts that come and go but you're training in the capacity to bring your attention back, put it on an object and when it wanders off you can bring it back again. so you, you call that a direct mind well they call that a direct mindfulness practice. Whereas an effortless mindfulness practice, what that is more aiming at is that you become awake and aware to the, the reality that you're already aware. That awareness is already within your existence already. You become awake to this natural state of knowing things as they already are. That there's no need for you to build this or to make this or to to, 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 to make this uh, factor of awareness arise. It's something that's already there. So and the the idea is to try to dwell in that state of natural open awareness. And so there so that's why I think there's yeah you know, that there, so there's <coughs> sorry. So yeah there's the idea that it is this natural and open state of awareness that is already there and it's not really something you have to try to get it's already there as it is Now so now we have an idea of we have an idea of like the common understanding of effort the Buddha how the Buddha taught about effort and we have an understanding of the common understanding of effortlessness and the the more modern Buddhist understanding of effortlessness so what are the pros and cons of each which which one do we actually do? Which one's better than the other? Which one should I spend all my time doing? Uh, that's the perennial question you get with most of these things. But um, so if we look at some of the cons of something like traditional effort, you know, you think, um, you think uh, putting forth this effort, Putting forth effort in your meditation, what that actually can do, if you're really trying to strive and you're always thinking, as like, you know, I'm the meditator, I need to get this particular kind of goal, I need to do a lot of practice and I'll eventually get this state, you know, this actually can bring up a lot of sort of stress and agitation that you're really trying to control your, you know, the state of your mind and this and the, and your ability to actually become enlightened. So that can actually bring up a little bit of agitation if you're, if you're really stressing out and trying too hard in your meditation. So that aspect of normal effort can bring up, uh, have have a downside. Likewise, sometimes with the Buddhist conceptualization, the the actual Buddhist conceptualization of abandoning unwholesome states and developing wholesome states, what that can bring up sometimes is this, this... this sort of feeling this idea of like ah oh, okay so i have to abandon unwholesome states and i have to develop wholesome states but i just keep having all these unwholesome states of mind come up they're all they're always they just keep coming over and it's really really hard to develop wholesome states of mind so you can feel a little bit despondent or feel like you're a bad person kind of thing and and feel like well i'm not really a good person because i can't develop all these like wondrously beautiful states of mind. So it, it can bring up a bit of a sense of despondency about that if you sort of, you know, grasp the snake uh, grasp the snake by the tail in the wrong way. So that's you could say that's like the, the downsides of the, the traditional understanding of effort and putting forth a lot of effort. But likewise with this the 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 effortless practices as well, there's a downside to those as well. And I think one of the main downsides is, is because they, they are this kind of effortless mindfulness practice. It is very appealing because it's like, well, I don't have to really try. I can just, whatever I'm doing, I can just practice with that. And whatever I'm doing, I can, you know, everything in my life is actually meditation and having this idea that to, to to move towards enlightenment or to develop my mind. This is just a form of grasping. This is a form of attachment. This is a form of clinging, and this is not what I want to do. And so I think that's where that that is a bit of a problem for, say, for example, new meditators and, inter, and even intermediate meditators is that they really grasp that the wrong way in that while well, that is right that is is kind of you know you don't want to have this kind of meditator ego of like i'm controlling my meditation and i'm being the meditator you also don't want to be so ungraspy and so unclingy that you just don't actually do any practice and that you think everything within your experience is you know, I, I don't have to do any kind of formal practice. I can just be mindful in every every situation and because the mindfulness is within me at every moment. I think, you know, that's a sort of a a, a a trap that you can fall into. If you think that you don't need to put forth any effort, then you don't actually develop to the level that you could. If you think, well, I don't need to try and I don't need to put forth any effort, you will you you' just sort of like coast along, whereas if you have this idea that I need to put forth effort in my practice there's always this constant thing in the back of your mind of like okay i'm not there yet i can I can do this better I can improve I can improve my mind a little bit more I think though the most kind of i from what i what I see at least is the most pernicious thing about the this aspect of effortless mindfulness that people grasp wrongly is that it can give, as I said, beginning meditators and even intermediate meditators a false sense of confidence about what they're actually doing and what they're actually experiencing. And what do I mean by that? Well, you know, we hear about some of these teachings and we, uh, we hear about these kinds of states of mind and we think, you know, we get a, a decent understanding of it. And then we think, well, that's what I'm going to practice. And so what you end up doing is instead of actually achieving those states first and realizing those states first, you get an idea about those states. And then all you end up doing is thinking yourself into that state. You think that you're being open and mindful and you're knowing things as they are, but really you're just labeling your experience. You're thinking yourself into a particular kind of label of how your experience actually is, instead of actually being that experience. The you know the 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 analogy that sort of comes to mind is that somebody that's like totally broke, they've got no money at all, but they just say, Oh, I'm I'm am I'm a multimillionaire. I'm 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 totally rich, I've got so much money, this is, you know, this is fine. Somebody that's broke and that thinks that they're a multimillionaire. It's one, they're delusional about the actual state of their existence, their reality as it is. But the problem as well is that this person will never try to get any more money. They think they're a millionaire already. You can believe that. It's fine. But it's not reality, and you won't actually get to the state where you actually want to. So it's a similar kind of thing with this; these kinds of effortless mindfulness practices. Not to say that there's anything wrong with them and the people that are teaching them or anything wrong. It's, it's just more that we can grasp these things the wrong way. So, which one should you practice then? Uh, I'm, you know, both of them, both effort and effortlessness. They, they have their their pros and they both have their cons. So, which one should you actually practice? What I would recommend just straight out of the gate if is that one you need a balance need a balance between these two practices but if you're going to err on one side of the other err on the side of actually putting forth more effort it's you won't fall as into as many pitfalls and but so why do i say err on the side of putting forth more effort well I really do think that you can't get to an effortless state without putting forth effort. You can't really experience what this effortless mindfulness state is without actually putting forth some effort before. Like I said before about what do I think effortless is, effortlessness is, I gave the uh, analogy of like a concert pianist. This is somebody who's highly skilled at something and who's trained a lot, and they're making something so beautiful and so technical that it seems so effortless for them. This is what I think more we should be aiming towards besides the kind of effortlessness, I just don't do anything. Now, and the way I think about this is that and I'm sure I'm not the first person that's actually given this analogy, but the, this, this, uh, this dichotomy between effort and effortlessness is like, it's like uh, effortlessness is like coasting on a push bike and effort is like pedaling the push bike. Now, if we think about that in that way, then, then how do we actually get to the point where we can coast, where we can be effortless? You have to Pedal pedal the bike but before that what do you have to do before you can pedal the bike you have to get on the bike you have to learn to sit on the bike you have to learn to balance on the bike you have to learn to put your hands on the handlebars this way and you need to be able to like direct it in the right way you have to be able to learn to pedal so then when you can do that then you learn to pedal you learn to build up momentum you build up momentum and then when you become proficient at that you can coast so effort and effortlessness in your meditation practice it's similar to that in that you know you you have to put forth some kind of effort to get to that point of effortlessness but it's not like you should just do one or the other you can't with you know when you ride a bike you can't just sit on the bike that's not going to get you anywhere you can't just pedal, pedal viciously everywhere you go. Like you're going to end up like smashing into things and and running out of energy and all these kinds of things. But likewise, you can't just sit on the bike and expect to coast. You've got to put forth some effort first. So the the real trick is knowing when to do either one of these things, knowing when to pedal, knowing when to coast. When you're riding a bike and you get to a hill. Obviously, you can't just coast up the hill. You need to pedal up the hill. Likewise, when you get to the top, you can't just continue to pedal and catapult down the hill really, really fast by pedaling so much. You have to coast down there then. So likewise, with your practice, you need to know when to put forth more effort, when to develop these, uh, do this, this aspect of where you're, putting forth and you're trying a little bit more hard. You're trying to actually show up and sit and do formal practice and meditate. You're knowing when you need to put forth effort to try to develop more wholesome states in the mind and abandon unwholesome states in the mind. But then you also know when you're maybe pushing too hard and you need to come back, uh, you need to pull back a little bit and to then just coast and to just have this aspect of of effortlessness and effortless mindfulness whereby you're just experiencing reality just for what it is and so how do you do that well as i said like riding the bike you've got to get on the thing you first you have to get on the bike so that's like your actual formal practice so you do need to make time you didn't do need to put for put put aside some of your day and actually do some meditation. However long that is, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter, but you have to put forth some kind of effort to show up. And obviously if you've like listened to me for this long, however long I've been talking for now, you are putting forth effort in like to develop your dharma practice. So that's a, that's a, that's a good sign already. So, but yeah, we need to put forth this kind of effort to show up, do practice every day, actually try to actually develop a practice we also need to put forth this effort, again, like peddling these kinds of more direct kind of mindfulness practices. We need to learn to try to train our mind. When the mind wanders off, we need to learn to come back to the present moment. When the mind is, uh, you, know, you know, overrun by unwholesome qualities, we need to learn to abandon those and to develop better qualities. You need to put forth that kind of effort when you're actually practicing meditation and throughout your day as well. But then the other side of that as well, you need to know while you're actually practicing, you can actually try some of these uh, more directed effortless practices, This these kinds of Zen practices of just sitting or these uh, like the Zogchen practices and these kinds of things. You can actually try to do those. But one has to be very, very honest with yourself and know when you're, one, pushing way too hard, putting forth too much effort, putting too much physical exertion in and having this sense of I'm, I'm gaining this like meditation ego. But then you also need to know when you're just deludedly convincing yourself that you're being mindful or deludedly convincing yourself that you're experiencing a particular state that you're not and all you're doing is just thinking yourself into a spiral. We need to know that balance. We need to have that balance there. We need to know when to pull back from one and to develop the other more. So unsurprisingly, you need both. You can't just have one without the other. Um, so maybe, you know, hopefully, hopefully that's made some sense for you today. Hopefully uh, that's made uh, made it a little bit clearer in that the Buddha really did recommend for us to put forth effort. And what did the Buddha say effort was? The Buddha said effort is developing wholesome states in the mind and abandoning unwholesome states in the mind and that we do really need to do our practice. Uh, But this effortless mindfulness and these effortless practices are this state of knowing, knowing things for just as they are and being awake and aware and you know, getting out of the way of our own practice. But to get to that point, we really do need to, to, to get to that point of effortlessness, we need to put forth, kind of, to put forth an effort to get there. And to do this, it's, this whole process is a balancing act in itself. It's something that takes a long time. It's something we have to continually keep doing. This process practice of finding a balance between effort and effortlessness. This is a long term practice. So continue to do it, continue to put forth effort into finding effortlessness. And that may do for now.
0: Thank you very much, Ajahn. I'm sure we'll get some questions about effort coming yeah. up as a response. I'll in the meantime I'll go through the questions that yeah, have for appeared sure. For sure. at various times this morning already. The first question, I'm just going to paraphrase a little mm. bit here. Mm. Um, someone says they're doing walking meditation and using budu, mm. I think bud while budo, they're yeah. um, uh, sitting mm. and meditating, but they say, my mind is still wandering. Yep. Is it okay at such times just to chant iti piso instead?
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, when you're walking meditation, it is uh, because it is more of a course and course in the way of that you've got your eyes open there's 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 things coming at you from different places in the world <clears throat> so it is maybe a little bit harder to actually to actually keep your mind on just maybe one thing like buddha. so yeah you can do so, you can do like longer chants um etippisau like as you're just walking up and down and repeating that over and over Whatever you find is helpful for you to keep your mind, again, on those wholesome qualities and abandon unwholesome qualities. Whatever is uh, helping you to do that, then it's it's totally fine to do that. You'll get, say, for example, a lot of monks. This is actually what we we do a lot, especially in our, you know, in the first you know, many years of our practice. Uh, we might use walking meditation, where we will try to memorize these longer chants and go through these chants while we're doing walking meditation as a way to really rein, you know, rein our mind in and using something that is, because we're walking and because we're, you know, exposed to more things in the world, we're using something that's a bit more, uh, you could say, like labor intensive to actually to keep our mind on, 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 you know, on our on our object, so it's totally fine to do that. It's uh, when you're walking, it's totally fine to do Buddha, It's totally fine to do ittipi saw. You can even do longer. You can do the uh, recollection of the Buddha, recollection of the Dhamma, recollection of the Sangha. You can uh, chant, uh, you know, the Metta Sutta or anything like that. Any anything like that is fine as long as you're trying to you're restrain the mind and bring it back in.
0: Thank you, Ajahn. Uh, The same person has uh, just put in a second question here. There was a term in here I'm not quite sure about. Mm. Um, The question is essentially, I tend to listen to Dhamma talks from 2 to 3 a.m. Yep. Uh, Do I break my nesachik? Nesachik. Oh, nesachik. If I find that is helpful to look through my daily life and try to improve myself.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, So uh, just for terminology's sake, nesachik, likely a... Likely a Thai person, maybe. Uh, don't don't know, hard to say. Nessa chick, it's uh, uh, it's a Thai term that, that means staying awake all night, practicing meditation. Um, uh, it's 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 one thing, say for example in the HNCR tradition we had the uh, we 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 try to develop that aspect of maybe one night out of the week, stay awake all night, practicing Dhamma. Um, and so yeah, there's there's no problem with actually using something like listening to a dharma talk between you know two and three or whenever it actually is, to you know to keep ourselves a little bit more awake and alert and to you know give us something to in a way like like hold on to and and keep us awake in sometimes because the the period between like you know one to like three in the morning it's it's brutal it's that's the worst time because your body's just meant to be asleep so you can find different ways to actually um uh keep yourself awake keep yourself alert and you know this is you know this is actually like it's something that you you can do and if you use it and you find it useful yeah then it's then it's it's totally fine to do you can listen to talks you can chant you can do all these kinds of things and you don't break you don't break the nasa so yeah whatever works thank you rajan
0: um next question is i'm retired mm. with no dependence mm. i'm poor mm. but shouldn't need to work anymore mm. don't need to work anymore is it acceptable to just focus on my practice now without feeling the need to advocate for others or to try to help sol- solve world problems
1: mm. again like you need both you need. Know, you need to you need, you can't just go, you can't just like throw everything away and, and just practice. And you know, you know, you have, you may, uh, you may have uh, family, you may have friends around you, uh, you know, maybe you don't need to fix the world's problems. You know, that's a, that's a big job in itself just for any one individual, but there's still, I'm, uh, I, I, I'm assuming there's still people around you that might be dependent on you in some way or that you're involved in in some way so so you you still have to you still have to have that in your mind that you know your presence in the world can be a force of good and it can be a way for you to make the world just a little bit better place however big your sphere of influence is if it's not so big if it's just your family and your friends you try to make that world a better place if your sphere of influence is you have you know control over over the american economy well then you try to make <laughs> that's your sphere of influence you try to make that world a better place whatever your sphere of influence is you try to make that better in saying that though yeah if you're retired now if you don't have uh, any dependents you don't have any um uh, you know, you don't have any sort of real, real need to go out and build anything for anybody anymore. Yeah, you can spend more time actually practicing meditation and practicing dhamma and practicing and and moving your life more in that way of you know developing the spiritual qualities of the mind. Maybe you've spent time in your life developing those more material things. It can be a good time to actually. Focus more on your practice. So, yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's a good way to spend your retirement. Is uh, understanding a little bit more about your life because you know if you're retired now, that actually means you're in the later stage. You don't know how much longer you've got left in your life. So, developing those important good qualities of the mind through meditation and through dharma practice this is this is the time if you're going to do it at any time you have to do it now you don't know you don't know how much longer so yeah improving the world as you know in the in the larger scheme of things you put that aside you know maybe you know maybe you're not going to i don't know fix the economy of america or or or, or you're not going to fix how where like responding to the vaccine rollout and all these kind of, you're not maybe you're not going to fix those kinds of things but what you can do is you can work on yourself develop those spiritual qualities and whatever who is around whoever is around you in your world you can actually make that world a better place Thank you
0: Rajan the next question is the perennial question of how do I still my mind by watching the ever-changing breath?
1: It's again, it's a process. It's a process. It's something that you have to put forth effort to do. You have to continually try to do it. It's like it's like any <clears throat> it's like any skill that you develop. It's something you need to practice at, you need to keep trying, you need to keep forth putting forth effort in. But again, you don't want to do it to the point of where you're trying to okay, I, I have to focus on the breath and if I foc- if I lose my focus, I'm a bad person and, and you know, this isn't working out, why is my mind always still uh, agitated and all these kinds of things? You don't want to do that. You don't want to uh, – you want to have that aspect where you're practicing and you're trying to stay focused on the breath, but you're very relaxed. You're very um, – you're just accepting whatever, whatever – um, whatever is at that point in time the breath is always ever changing the mind is always ever changing the moods and the motions that you have is always ever changing so we try to be relaxed and notice this process and but we don't try to control it so much we don't try to force our way into thinking okay well i you know i have to stay focused on the breath so I can get samadhi, so I can become enlightened, so I can you know, be free from all suffering. And if I don't do this thing, then I become, then I'm a bad person with a bad mind. It's it's not like that. Again, just have to be relaxed. You have to be, um, just notice that this is a process that's already happening and try to keep your awareness on that. So again, put forth effort, but be relaxed when you do it. Thank you, Rajan.
0: Uh, Next question, Uh, how should one respond to an elderly parent in their 80s Mm. who is consumed by anger, regret Mm. and Mm. hatred Mm. and sadly has been so for most of their life? Mm.
1: Yeah. It's a difficult one. Like when... People are sort of ingrained in a particular kind of way um, and have spent their life doing that. Like it's, you know, the longer one develops a particular kind of habit, the harder that habit is to break. The more one ingrains some sort of aspect of their personality, then it's harder for them to break. So can you change this person? It's, you know, it's really hard. It's really actually hard to, uh, to actually change them and, and all of a sudden just say something you know magical and wondrous to them where they're, they're not you know angry they' not, they're not they don't have these kinds of regrets, they don't have these kinds of things because it's it's such an ingrained process. But the thing that we can control and we have some autonomy over is our response to them, you know, our response to their anger, our response to their regret. If we continue to try to be patient with them, we continue to try to forgive them, we continue to try to show kindness to them, even though they are in the midst of that anger and regret, then hopefully this will rub off, the, rub off on them in some way. It's so hard to actually do this because it sort of seems like they're maybe not receptive to it but you have to remember they're they're potentially they're acting in this way is because they're having so much suffering something about their life has sort of like propelled them this way and they're actually they're suffering a lot and maybe they view the world as a as a harsh or unfair kind of place and so that's how they've built their worldview so if you can come into that with this aspect of, of showing them that like the world isn't always like that, that there is kindness in there, that there, that there, that there is a way for them to be happy and you can do that through your own example, then that's really the only way that you can actually help them and, and just be understanding, understanding of them when they are angry, when they are regretful, you be understanding of that situation because they're responding in this way because they have some kind of suffering and if we can we can if we can see that they're suffering, then we can respond to them better. if we just think, "Ah, oh, they're just like this and they'll never change and you know you i know, uh, you know I, I wish I wish they didn't complain all the time. I wish they weren't so critical and cranky and grumpy, and uh are such a bore to be around uh, then they're going to get worse, but if we have that aspect. Of that that we develop that faculty where we are being kind and considerate to them, then you know that will make their life a little bit better. Maybe they do have that view that everything in life is unfair and it's terrible and all these kinds of things. But the thing that you can do is show them that it's not always like that. If you can show them that it's not always like that through your own kindness, then you've done whatever you can do. Thank you, Ajahn. Uh, next question,
0: um, how can lay people who want to achieve liberation in this lifetime mm. benefit from effortless practice despite the demands of everyday living? Is it even possible? Oh, sorry, can you just repeat this? Hmm. How can lay people who want to achieve liberation in this lifetime yeah. benefit from effortless practice right. okay. yep. despite the demands yeah. of everyday living is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is this even possible
1: yeah 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 so it is it is possible again uh as i said in the talk you need to develop the balance between the two uh if you're a layperson and you want like liberation in this life it's it's a this is a this is a, a good goal to uh, go towards uh so again but you need that kind of effort to want to move towards this thing now but if you are a layperson, you have many responsibilities. You have many duties. You have a lot of things going on. This is where we can uh, use this uh, this this practice of of effortless mindfulness uh, and that effortless practice of trying to at least like when we come back, when we're, when we're sorry, when we're doing activities and doing all these things that we're involved in, we're trying to come back and realize that things just are as they are. And you're not trying to struggle of like, I don't want my life to be this way. I don't want things to be this way. I want them to be another way. Um, I want. I just want to sit here and do butto or whatever it is. You can use that effortless practice of just noticing that you're already aware, you're already awake. This is something this is something that's here available to you already and that things are just as they are they are not any other way us struggling and us struggling and trying to change it and wanting it to be a different kind of way that's not making it better if you can use this effortless mindfulness practice to like get out of the way of that and just to realize things as they are then this is a good practice but to do this you need to be developing these other factors of mindfulness as well this other factor of learning to come back to the present learning to train your mind of when it is getting overrun and it's being pulled away to actually bring it back to the present how do you develop that develop a regular meditation practice develop these develop these qualities but yeah you can use this effortless practice throughout your day just to remind yourself that this is the way experience is. This sense of that it's me here doing all these things and I'm the one that's fixing all these problems and I have all these duties and responsibilities and uh, there's there's only so much time in the day and I'm the one that's doing it all. It's like that that's an illusion, that there is this person here doing all these things, that there is this one that's here that that is like you know, like controlling existence and is controlling your your experience. It's just experience. It's just awareness. Trying to come back to that and having small glimpses of that throughout the day is can be can be very very helpful. Um, but again, balance balance the two. Do do more of these kinds of effortful mindfulness practices effort, put forth effort to do some meditation and that will make the effortless side of it easier it will make it more salient you'll be able to dwell in that for longer hopefully that answers the question
0: thank you rajan uh, the next question is something i was curious about myself yeah when you mentioned that when you're talking about the nesak chakra Nessa chick. Nessa chick. Before uh, someone has asked, um, what is the importance of staying up all night meditating? I guess the implied follow-on question is: Is this something that lay people um, should be thinking, or you know, could be thinking about? Would it be beneficial for lay people to do Mm. as
1: well? Mm. Well, it it actually gets exactly to the the theme of the talk today of of putting forth effort. Um, It's a way for you to do these kind of the the very much the external aspect of putting forth effort and striving and realizing that you know that, that that training the mind is something that's really important for you to actually do and this is something that you should be giving priority to in your life um, and this is something you should be trying to spend as much time on as as you possibly can so it's a way to one it's a way to inspire us to actually practice for longer and to do and to spend a whole big chunk of time you know from whenever it is you know like evening to the very next morning just putting everything else aside and just practicing it also it also the one of the big advantages of it is you start to meet uh, i've talked about this before the complaining the complaining mind it's like oh I want to like, this is ridiculous. I should be in bed. It's like, (laughs) I, you know, I'd, I'd much rather be like cozy and covered up in my doona and asleep and all these kinds of things. Um, what's this actually doing for me? It's like, it's not doing anything. My mind isn't calm. This is, this is a stupid practice. I'm just awake and I'm, but all I'm doing is just trying to stop from falling over and I'm trying to stop from like falling out of my chair or whatever it is. So, what you're actually developing, though, it's not necessarily that you're going to sit all night. You're going to sit for six hours, and you're just going to be in the bliss of samadhi the whole time. It's, it's not like that. It's, it's A lot of the times, it's very, very far from it. But what you're actually doing is you're developing other qualities that are very, very important. You're developing patience. You're developing endurance. You're developing effort. You're developing this... This this quality of developing wisdom of that that you know that things just come and go and it doesn't really matter how you feel you just have to keep going through it so it's not specifically just about the this is something that will make your mind calm and peaceful you develop all these other really really good qualities as well you uh, develop diligence uh, you develop this aspect of uh, you know it's it's a common question we get all the time. John, what happens? I sit meditation and I fall asleep. This is the practice, this is the practice that you do if you it's like, okay, you really want to like go against that thing? Do this. Go like stay try to stay awake all night. Just do it for one night and see what happens. See how you can push against that. See what kind of techniques that you can use yourself that helps you push against this practice of you know constantly falling asleep what works for you what are these what are these what are these what are these kinds of skills that you can use to stop yourself from uh lethargy and falling asleep and also it can you know, really can give you a sense of confidence as well of like wow I've, I've given up a whole night a whole night to actually practice it can be very inspiring for you it can be and it can be something that you you know look forward to uh, and, and, and make it, make it a part of your practice. So yeah, you, as a lay person, you definitely can practice these things. Um, Ajahn Chah would, would recommend, you know, that the lay people, they come when they practice meditation for the night, obviously make sure you don't have too much on the next day or, you know, it's not like you have to like, you know, finish your all night meditation thing and you have to drive a train or something like that. Like don't, don't do it then obviously do it on a day where you sort of have the rest of the day off. Um, and, the big thing about it is, is like you see if it works for you. Um, some people it works really well for they um they practice these all night all night sits or all night staying awake all night and it really does bring up an energy and it can it can actually make you drop into these very nice and very calm states where you can sit for very, very long periods of time because there's there's nothing else happening. Um and or you or you can see it's like, well, actually, you know this is something that doesn't work for me. Staying awake for very, very long periods doesn't work for me. But you have to try it first. You have to actually do this thing first and not just do it once or twice. You have to do it a lot. And then you can go, well, this is something that works for me this doesn't. Because I guarantee the first time you do it, you're going to fall asleep. You're going to do all these things. It's like, oh, this doesn't work for me. It's no good. No, 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 no. Again, you haven't put forth enough effort yet put forth the effort first and then to see actually if it does work for you. So it is is—it is a very good very good practice to do.
0: Thank you, Ajahn. I think we're up to our last question. Mm. Uh, oh, no, some more have come in. Okay. They're, they're, flo- they're flooding in. Flooding in, good. Uh, <laughs> well, we've got about 15 minutes left in the session, so yep. we'll see how many we can get through. Next question is... Uh, Dear Ajahn, I have been trying to do breathing meditation for over a year mm. but my mind is still wondering. Mm. I feel like
1: I'm wasting time. Mm. What should I do? Mm-mm. Um, if you really are just doing that one and only practice and that's all you're doing in your meditation and you, you feel like you're not getting anywhere, uh, there's, there's two actually there's two things to this. You might feel like you're not getting anywhere, but you actually are. And you just don't notice it because you've been doing it over a long period of time. You don't really notice you don't really notice this kind of how much your mind actually has changed or how much your skill in watching the breath actually has changed in the course of that year because it's like it's like, you know, like it's like watching watching yourself grow. You don't really notice watching yourself grow, but if you think about Okay, what was you know? If it was a child, oh, how big was he last year? It's like you can see when you think back to a year before. You know, actually, he has grown, or myself, I've grown, or whatever. So it's not that you're wasting your time. You actually you are developing in some way, but maybe you're just not noticing it as much. Um, so you you can sort of stick with it, and you know, eventually it it will it will get better. The other side of that as well. If, if you if you have just been doing this one practice, that, that doesn't mean that you can't try other practices as well. You can try you know, some of the different practices I talked about today. The different kind of uh, the different kind of effortless mindfulness practices. You can try the other kind of more direct mindfulness practices. I.e., you know you can do uh, like uh, different kinds of con- contemplative practices. You can do like mantra meditation. You can do uh, metta meditation, uh, loving kindness meditation, and things like that. <clears throat> you can change it up a little bit and try to see. If something works a little bit better, or or it doesn't, um, you can change it up a little bit. Just you know, my, my own my own sort of story is like when I when I first started meditating, uh, like everybody else, started with these more like direct mindfulness practices, and you know, I started learning to watch the breath. Um, and it's like, oh, great, this is good. Tried it a few times. Uh, after a little while, uh, this isn't really working. This isn't, re- you know, this, this is when I first started. This isn't really working. I'll try this other practice. I'll try this other practice. I'll try this other practice. I did that for maybe like the next six years, changing different practices, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, I'll go back to the breath a little bit more. Now it's like, oh, yeah, hang on, that works. So it's, it's not. Like you can sort of like you can wander around everywhere, but then you realize but then you realize it's like that this actual practice that is working. But what is determining how well it's working is your skill in keeping your awareness and your mindfulness on that thing. It's not about the actual object that you're using, but it's about your skill of mindfulness that you're actually developing. So if, however you develop it, however the kind of whatever object that you're actually putting that on. This is the skill you have to develop. And if you keep with the breath, you know, you're, you keep with the breath and use that as, like, as your foundation, then, you know, you can't really go wrong. You know, you'll always, it's always something that you can always come back to. So again, don't think that you're not progressing. If you really sort of are honest with yourself and look back over the course of time, you will see that you've developed in some way. But then also, yeah, you can try these other things, but really the quality of mind that you want to be uh, developing that quality of of mindfulness and concentration, they're the things that are the most important and the object doesn't really matter so much.
0: Okay, thank you, Ajahn. Um, Sorry,
1: I'll
0: just find this next question. Yep. I think this is a bit of a multi-part question, so I'll I'll, uh, read the both parts. Yep. Um, Thank you for a wonderful talk. I'm trying to piece together all the components of today's talk, but in my head I feel I may not be connecting all the pieces properly. Mm. I have listened intently and feel I'm missing something. It's like I have all the pieces of an IKEA piece of furniture but not being able to see the cupboard fully.
1: Yep. Welcome to my world. This is how I experience everything. <laughs> there's multiple pieces of things, and I'm trying to pull it all together. And it's it's fine. It's 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 totally fine. Um, th- there are these there are these aspects there, that, and that's sort of why I chose to talk about this difference between effort and effortlessness. In that, you, there's like this confusion around it. It's it's not something that you you know I can talk about this thing today and i can sort of give you my ideas on it but it doesn't it doesn't mean that you'll actually like get it totally it's something you have to you have to practice at a little bit you have to try to go over these things okay what does what does Ajahn mean when he puts says put forth effort okay the buddha said to do it like this okay so i developed that thing okay okay but let's try this other effortless practice what does that actually mean so you try these different things you go over them you go over them and then you start to as I said it's a gradual process it's something you have to do over time all I've sort of tried to do today is throw a lot of ideas at you and throw a lot of throw a lot of sort of definitions and things like that at you um, the way that you understand it um, everyone's going to understand it in a different way um, some things you'll get some things you just won't get um, it's it's sort of the same when you maybe talk about aspects say for example of not self some people just get it some people can't wrap your head around the what i'd recommend is like don't worry don't worry if you can't if you don't get it all yet don't worry if you can't wrap your head around this thing yet you know it's fine just you just keep practicing and things become clearer again all your pieces of the ikea cupboard they're all there it's all there but it's all like in a mess kind of thing it's all over the place it's like okay how does this thing fit together Okay, let's like try to put this, put this bit together. Okay, cool. Yep, that suit. Yep, that, that works. That bit fits together. Then you try to put this other piece in. It's like, no, that's not the right bit. I don't, nah, I, put that, put, okay, put that back aside for now. Grab some other bits, put it together. No, put it aside. Okay, this other thing, okay, this fits now. And eventually you start to see how this thing does piece together through trial and error, putting the thing together realizing it's like okay I've, I've 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 put this thing together now but the whole thing's upside down and <laughs> i've spent the last like 40 minutes putting this thing and now it's like it's meant to be a bookshelf and it's it looks like a chair or something now it's that's 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 just the way this process goes um you can look at the manual but i'm like god an ikea manual they're they're, they're hard to understand in themselves these strange like little pictures kind of thing so all i'm doing is offering the strange pictures and the and the the various bits of furniture it's all there. it can all fit together. it will all fit together if you sort of put it together in the right way, and you have patience and you go through it and you make mistakes and you put the put the wrong thing in the wrong place. sometimes you put the right thing in the right place and it'll sort of fit together, and eventually it'll get to this point where it's like, "Oh hang on, all this fits together it all yeah i can, I can see it now, I get it. I've got. I've finally got the bookshelf that I wanted. But again, it takes time, it takes effort.
0: Thank you, Arjan. I guess if everything made sense to us as we're listening to every
1: Dharma talk, we probably wouldn't even need to be yeah. listening to Dharma talks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. We'd all be enlightened after <laughs> listening to one or two talks.
0: How lovely. Um, the next question is, how can I use Buddhist meditation practice to deal with a job that i find very stressful and unpredictable
1: thank you mm. depends on the buddhist meditation practice you're actually doing but any <coughs> sorry any kind of meditation practice is going to help you to sort of accept again accept the reality of what is you know, jobs can be terribly stressful. Jobs can be there's multiple components to it, interpersonal components, uh, different kinds of complexities in a different project that are that can bring up a lot of that can bring up a lot of agitation and stress. Developing this uh, as some kind of Buddhist meditation practice it enables you to doesn't fix the problems or the stressfulness there. But it's like, say, for example, you're spending your day in this job that is very stressful and complex. What, And so what's happening is your mind sort of getting – it's tilting more towards this, like, negative thing where you are falling into, into like, a, a an aspect of stress. What a meditation practice will do is balance that out a little bit more. It's not going to fix all the problems. It's not that you're going to use meditation and this meditation that you use will fix this kind of problem. No, no, no. It's All it's going to do is, like, balance you out a little bit more so if you have a very stressful job you know you know that can be very like emotionally taxing emotionally taxing uh you you get like lost in a lot of thoughts and it sort of it wears you down it can it can burn you out what the meditation can do is help sort of pull you back into balance a little bit more and hopefully if you practice it a lot it'll it'll allow you to start to realize that okay all these you know all these things that are just something that is coming and going it's uh it's here it's gone it's here it's gone so anything that even seems like a big problem it won't last forever anything that seems like it's it's insurmountable at some point it will end and then the next thing will come up and you can so it's more as i said it's more about fight it will a buddhist meditation practice will help you find more of a balance in that Again, it won't fix won't fix everything in your job, but it'll help you balance out your reactions to this a lot more.
0: Thank you, Rajan. We just have a, a few minutes left. Yep. Um, so the final question it may not be it may be difficult to answer in a few minutes, but yep. um, it's a related question to the last one. How can I use my Buddhist meditation practice? To relate more kindly and confidently with other people, I often find interpersonal communication difficult. Mm.
1: Mm. There's like there's a few different aspects of that. Like, say for example, a Buddhist, if you're if you're doing a practice where you're like actively trying to develop what we call the four Brahmaviharas, the uh, 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 you're developing loving kindness, compassion altruistic joy to in others in, in others' goodness and equanimity. This can really help you, you know, connect with other people because you're developing these 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 positive faculties of kindness and compassion within your own mind. But for me, something that's that's really been helpful is that is that through a meditation practice you learn again, you learn to get out of your own way when we interact with people we always have this kind of feeling of like uh, how how are they judging me how how's their response actually happening when i'm when i'm when i'm speaking how like what does my you know what's my sort of body doing at this point in time if i say this thing it's it's going to it's going to say something bad to them so i'll just not say anything actually and so you're always sort of like forward thinking and you know thinking on top of the thinking about how somebody's thinking about you so what actual what an actual meditation practice can help you do is just get out of the way of that and you just sort of accept things for as as they are instead of being off into the future of thinking about what they're thinking about you can actually just be there with the person you can be there and whatever sort of arises at that point in time you can fully pay attention to them, you can fully listen to them, and you can really actually connect with them in that way because you've developed that faculty of being in the present moment and letting go of these aspects of of, of the, uh, the the sort of responses that you're having. So you can connect with them a lot more because you're just there with them. You're not there thinking about oh, what's this person thinking of me? What are they, you know, uh, do they think I'm smart? Do they think I'm stupid? Do they like me? Do they not like me? You can just naturally be in this state with this person. And this is, this is, for me, this was like the most important thing. It's like it's not about me being, you know, me having more meta for them and me being kinder to them and me being a more, you know, Lovely person is no, uh, I, you know, I I can, I can, I can generally, I'm not a great person, but actually, just being the person that I am with them and being there in that moment with them and getting out of the way of that and actually listening to them and really actually connecting with them at that point, whatever way that is, that is something that's very, very freeing within itself. So, this is how you're, and there's many different other ways that we probably don't really have time for at the moment, but. I'd say, as I said, the big thing for me is just that, you know, you you really are there with the person when you're dealing with them and you're not somewhere else. Thank you so much, Arjan. That was the final question. So, yeah, good. good. And we're thank finished
0: you. right on time. So that good. was well-timed, everyone. So thank you again. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.
1: Very good. Okay, so all the best with everyone. All the best. Uh, I encourage you to continue to put forth effort and hopefully the more effort you put forth the more you'll move towards this state of effortlessness and understanding the Dhamma. so i wish you all well and i uh we tomorrow night we have the monday night meditation session which i will be leading which starts at seven thirty. so anybody that like to tune in can do that and maybe we even might try to do some of these these do nothing kind of meditation let's 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 see i i sort of roll on with these things so I might forget by tomorrow but but anyway we'll we'll um, hopefully we'll see you then